0: Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Welcome, everyone, to the August edition of the Faith Lead Book Hub. Today, we are hearing and participating in Preaching the Stories We Don't Always Hear with authors Lisa Thompson, Wes Daniels, and Ashley Wilcox. My name is Leanne Pomrenke, and I am part of the Faith Lead team. Um, Now we're going to warm up the chat here with something you're going to want to select everybody so that you can share, just in a short sentence or phrase, the worst sermon you've ever heard or preached about current events, women in the Bible, or... Revelation here when the pastor kept repeating, Sometimes life just sucks. Okay, yep. Mm -hmm. Sermons on racism last summer got the congregation all upset because they thought I was calling them racist. Been there. One guest pastor told my congregation that they love their guns more than God, it wasn't helpful. Yeah. It wasn't the worst sermon but it was a repeated sermon for just about the same audience. Oh yeah, you gotta check it before you reuse your sermons, people. When the pastor said that Jesus didn't actually multiply the fishes and loaves, the people had brought snacks for the trip. <laughs> okay, I encourage you to keep dropping those in the chat um, if for nothing else but solidarity. We have heard some stinkers, and maybe, maybe some of us have even preached some. Uh, so today we are moving forward to do better. Our first presenter today is Dr. Lisa L. Thompson, an Associate Professor and Fellow of Black Homiletics at Vanderbilt. Her book, Preaching the Headlines, Possibilities and Pitfalls, is just about out from working preacher books at the end of this month. Preaching the Headlines reframes preaching as an ongoing conversation between the modern world and the world of the text, exploring where the divides between the two may be less rigid than we acknowledge. Lisa, it is your turn to take us away.
1: Thank you so much Leanne and to my colleagues it's so great to be here to share this time with you and to talk about our work together. I'm looking at this chat box and saying yes and amen to all of those experiences because I think I've had every last one of those as well uh, in terms of, ooh, life, what is it? What is it? When the preacher kept repeating, sometimes life just sucks. Yes, but say more, please, <laughs> and get me out of the suck part. Uh, and then this comment about last uh, summer, everyone thought I was calling them a racist, and by the end of the sermon, and didn't seem like there was quite enough progress. And then there's always this moment, too, where things are kind of leave us in a rut and we're hoping, well, wait, there's something about the preaching moment that should also inspire or move or motivate us, even if they are difficult sermons. Doesn't mean they're always going to be elevated and over the top, but there should be something that moves us a bit in the process. So I'll start here in thinking about uh, the what, why and how of preaching the headlines is kind of how I framed this. And I think that this might be helpful as I thought about how to write this book or why I was writing this book and what it's all about. So just a bit on the history of the book uh, and how it came about. It came about because I was probably sitting in many of those congregations you all were sitting in, or I myself had preached that bad sermon that didn't quite go well, or was trying to help figure out how do we talk about the real world around us in a way in which it can be received and understood by people of faith, but also in a way in which people of faith, especially Christian folks show up in more meaningful ways in the world. So I decided to put together a course, and it was between 2011, 2012, I started this course called Preaching the Headlines and trying to help figure out how do we help preachers and those who want to be in conversation with communities of faith figure out how to talk about the everyday world as a matter of faith. Uh, For me, it was important that we recognize, yes, we need all of our Christian resources and all the Christian resources, traditions, and scriptures, but when we're talking about things that we don't know a lot about, uh, we also need additional resources. So if I can say there might have been three categories of sermons or preaching instances that motivate this text, but before that, I'll say preaching is just hard, it's hard work. People who look at us from the outside go, oh, it didn't take much effort. But those who do it week in and week out or even on the occasional basis know that preaching is actually a very difficult task when you're trying to do it with integrity and to say something that actually matters. So here are the three things that I saw panning out in this very difficult task. when people tried to talk about the world, and I'll say current events, but I'll come back to that in a moment. The first thing was uh, the sermon that was, let's say, was something blew up yesterday. Like We'll just say something blew up yesterday, and we're going to talk about this thing that blew up yesterday. Doggone it, that thing should not have blown up yesterday, and it stopped there. When I heard these sermons, it was the moment where you say you don't actually get the community of faith on board to say, yeah, something blew up but why does it matter to people of faith? Why should people of faith, and it's particularly Christian people care about that thing that blew up yesterday? So it never quite engages the faith story. And people say, well, what makes it different than a political thump speech? Then there's the other sermon that is so concerned about, oh, did I pray enough today? Did I read my Bible enough times today? Am I being the good enough Christian in my personal piety? And it never quite touches the other stuff that's happening uh, in life on the ground in that way. And then there is the sermon that says something blew up yesterday Uh, We should care as people of faith that something blew up yesterday, Uh, and this is why we should care but then it never touched the people who were impacted by what was actually blown up, right? Who was hurt, who was wounded to care for their soul. So preaching the headlines and preaching the headlines, I'm trying to bridge a couple gaps here. How do we attend to the totality of life on the ground uh, and not just in new cycles as they go round and around, but to think about an ongoing disposition or outlook on life and the life of faith. So I'll move now to the what. So this is a bit of the kind of the the how we got here, but then the what. So it actually extends an invitation, right? So I'm simply extending an invitation to the preacher, the community of faith, to think about who we are as people of faith, uh, what difference should or does that make in the world around us? And then how do we approach not only the task of preaching, but how we show up in the world around us. Uh, This means, for instance, that preaching is not just about prophetic care or prophetic preaching or pastoral preaching. There are no such divides. All preaching is both prophetic and pastoral if it attends to the fullness of how we actually experience life every day. For instance, every congregation, there may be the survivor of uh, domestic violence alongside of the one who is the abuser. Existing right alongside of each other. Every congregation, there may be, or community of faith, there may be the person who cannot make their ends meet, and there may be the person who has the capacity to help other people meet their ends. So here is where I'm simply saying "Mm -mm, it's not about the headlines. It's about what's going on in the stories behind the headlines that tell us the story of our wider world, that tell us the stories of where life is meeting the ground on any given day. Um, With this being said, when I say it's not about pastoral versus prophetic preaching, it means we care about the fact that life is so doggone hard for many of us and for many people, and we need to attend to that. We need to offer care and consolation but we also need to attend to what makes life so doggone hard in the first place. What makes the world so difficult that it lands on physical bodies in particular ways. Uh, This is important for both those of us who are preachers and preaching and those who simply care about motivating and mobilizing Christian communities of faith in the wider world. Okay, that's where I'll start there about the what. So it is for, yes, the preacher, but also the community organizer, the uh, person who's not a Christian but wants to be in conversation with Christian communities about how to show up in the world in different ways. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say a word here about the why. Okay, we want to have these conversations about faith and life. We want to tend to the totality of life on the ground. Part of that why is because I genuinely believe that there is something Uh, Some ways in which the world should be better if Christian folk of faith claim we show up and participate in it, and it should be better for uh, our entire collective good right that people should know if Christian communities are engaged and participating in the world in which we live, but it ought to make a difference for the better. On the other side of that, I think this means that we have to take responsibility for some of the dominant narratives around Christianity that circulate in the world around us uh, and the ways in which we have caused great harm in the name of faith. I have always been a person concerned about how do we do more right than wrong in the name of faith. Uh, than anything else. At the end of the day, how do we do more right? And if we have not left this earth, making it a better place, a place in which people can flourish, uh, a place in which people have access to that life abundant that we talk about, then I think we have failed our task as Christians in that regard. Let me say a word now about this uh, how. This is not the book that is going to give us tricks and tips on how to preach the headlines or how to create a cookie cutter sermon. Because this is a book, in this book, I'm trying to help us discern our way to responses on an ongoing basis instead of answers. So this is the first thing I'll say. It requires us to ask more open questions and better questions of both the biblical text And the world around us, it requires us to presume that we know less that we do not have tidy answers, but we are actually entering a process of communal discernment with each other right that means the preacher does not have to have all the answers. Because the preacher doesn't and can't have all the answers, nor does any one person, but a conversation is about starting a conversation together as a community right? So this is about discernment. This is about about leaning into the uncomfortable spots. And this is about taking on the text or scripture, the Christian faith tradition, and the world in constant conversation with one another. Uh, I often say this, that preaching the headlines isn't about preaching the headlines at all, it's about preaching life, right? So this is also means that I'm here in this book, I'm trying to help people discern the story of life that's behind the headlines and discern the story of life that's behind scripture. And how do we put those things in conversation with one another uh, in more faithful ways? That means we understand that humanity has been consistent since the beginning of time. There are some things that we just love, power uh, to be the center of attention. And there are some things that come up all the time in kind of that history, lo and behold, those same things are a part of our biblical texts and stories. This is a story about people trying to figure out how to do life with God, how to do life with one another. What if we took that seriously and said, what might we learn from these scriptures in conversation with the world that does not require scripture to be a prescriptive thing that says the way life should be or the way we should live. And sometimes it says what we should not do, uh, things that have gone wrong, and this helps open up a different possibility. To do this, I offer kind of, I say that we have to figure out some theological or faith language that gives us handles for entering these very difficult conversations, okay? Uh, And in finding that faith language, we also have to admit the ways in which our faith language has not been the most helpful. What does this look like practically? There's a chapter in the book that I've called the fleshy parts of life. This is where I seek to talk about all the things that circulate or surround our bodies and how we show up in the world and how people interpret the value of our lives based on how they interpret our bodies. These are those classic isms we often talk about, racism, classism, queerphobia, phobia, uh, ableism, all those things that are based on how we show up in the world and then how people say, Uh, how much worth or value we have because of the way we show up in the world if I were to have kind of a the theological kind of handle or the faith handle I offer for this chapter and these things is the fleshy parts right but it's also saying these are things around incarnation here's how I think that we might have gotten it a little wrong in history uh, in the Christian faith tradition as we overemphasize emphasize this idea of body and soul that it's about the heavenly over yonder instead of the now and now that we have allowed ourselves to minimize or minimize the significance of what it means to live and breathe in this world and actually try to live and not die. So a handle that I offer to say, what happens if we recover the theme of incarnation, seriously recover that theme, uh, and to say, how? what does it mean when the Holy One came, chose flesh to live among us, dwell among us, and attend to what it means to live in a body, not as a passing thing, but as a real and tangible concern Uh, for us in our lives every single day, right? So this is the ministry of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus, that the body is significant. Jesus came uh, and came that we might have life and life more abundantly. And life is not a myth, right? Life is very tangible. The ability to live is very tangible. Uh, One of the things I'll say here, At this moment as i understand i think my time is coming up a little bit but as as i think about this it's important to say if we begin with this idea of incarnation flesh matters bodies matter lives matter without equivocation it means that we do different things with the scripture in front of us it means that we interpret the world around us differently if i really believe that life matters and life more abundant is the literal promise to every being. That means I fight, I show up, I speak on behalf of that thing, even when it feels like it's in tension with the tradition that I have known, right? Or that we have known and accepted. That means also that it's not about saying, turning a community of faith upside down uh, by just saying you're racist, because that won't work and get us many places. But it is about saying, huh, how do we treat people based on their skin hues and the way we, their ethnicity, the way in which we're treating people in the world today based on those things. What does it say about what we think about them, and if we compare that to what we believe as people of faith. About uh, the holiness of the flesh, the holiness of the body, the full body of humanity. How how are we or are not we living up to our beliefs and living out those beliefs? And if we find misalignment, that somehow people are dying, literally dying uh, by the things that we are saying and doing in the name of faith, then that's what calls us to rethink our dispositions and what we are saying and doing in the name of faith. Finally, I say here that this approach of the how is hinged on what I call a non-negotiable radical love ethic that across every Christian tradition, I don't care how varied or how similar or how uh, different we are from one another. Those two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is the hinge that kind of connects us all. So that means we foreground that at every single turn. It doesn't ask us who our neighbor is in terms of which neighbor or can we divvy this out in different ways, but the command is to love God, love your neighbor. And so the book is really trying to help us figure out what decisions and risks are we really willing to take and make if we truly say we love God and love neighbor. Thank
0: you.